You know, in Easter uh, time, maybe you know this, but in uh, some Christian traditions, uh, it's uh, appropriate to tell jokes. And the reason why is because, you know, in some Christian traditions, the telling jokes is like what God did uh, to the enemy. It was sort of this cosmic joke that the enemy thought that the enemy had the last laugh when Jesus died on the cross and was put into a tomb and was buried, that the enemy had the last laugh. But when Jesus came out of the grave, it was God who got the last laugh. So in some Christian traditions, it was, it's appropriate to, to tell jokes around Easter time. So um, I think I'll tell some jokes. How's, how's that sound? So um, there was this uh, little Johnny. He was in his kids' church class, and they were teaching about how God created everything. And, and uh, he heard while he was in his class that uh, from Adam's rib, made, uh, God made Eve. And so that was really intriguing for little Johnny. And so Johnny, uh, during the week, was laying down, and, and, and he was holding his side like this. And, and his mom asked Johnny, he said, Johnny, what's wrong? He said, my side hurts. I think I'm having a wife. <laughs> you know who the, uh, the biggest financier is in the Bible? Say, no, I don't. I don't know who it is. Noah. Noah. Noah was floating his stock while everybody else was liquidating. Hold on, I got more. Where is Solomon's temple located? On the side of his head. (laughs) Who is the smartest man in the Bible? Abraham. He knew a lot. You got to know Bible to know that one. Who was, who was, what kind of man was Boaz before he married? What kind of man was Boaz before he married? Ruthless. He was ruthless. <laughs> who is the greatest comedian in the Bible? Who is the greatest comedian in the Bible? Samson. He brought the house down. <laughs> There was three boys out, I'm, I'm, I'm still going, I'm not done with there. There was three boys out at recess one day, and they were talking about their dads, and one of the uh, boys said to his friends, he said, you know, my dad, you know, he, he scribbles down uh, some things on a piece of paper, and, and uh, they're called poems, and he gets $100 for that. And the second boy said, well, my dad, he scribbles down some pieces of paper on a sheet of paper, or scribbles some down some things on a piece of paper, and he gets $200 for that, and they call that a song. And the third boy said, well, my dad, he scribbles some things down on a piece of paper, and he calls that a sermon, and four guys collect money for that. <laughs> Happy Easter, everybody. I'm out of here. No. <laughs> you know the real joke, though? The real joke was is that as many times as Jesus told his followers that he was going to die, but that he was going to rise on the third day. You know what the real joke is? No one was there. Not a person. Not any of his friends. Not any of his family members. I mean, I said this last week. Not even his own mother was there waiting for Jesus to come out of the grave. Isn't that a real joke? Not one. Not one. 
As a matter of fact, Jesus even told them this. Jesus told them this before you know, he was going to be taken on trial and crucified. He even told them this in Matthew 26 before it all began. He said, Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, so here he's telling them again, I mean, right before he's getting you know, arrested and crucified, he says, but after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee, which is important. We're going to get to that in a second. Those that were sort of close, you know, the closest, they got the closest, they hung in there longer than most of Jesus' guys that Jesus spent, you know, three and a half years with, were the women. Boy, I am so happy and so pumped and so, you know, thrilled that there's women, you know, that, that love Jesus. I mean, even in this ministry, you know, the women of this ministry really, you know, carry the load. They're the faithful ones. And in Jesus' ministry, the women were the faithful ones. They're the ones that hung in there, even though they weren't, the, they weren't at the tomb either on the third day. But at least they stuck it out. And there were some women, it says in, you know, in Luke 23, it says, Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. So there were some women that were looking on. And so as, you know, you can, as we looked at last week, there was Joseph of Arimathea and there was Nicodemus. And, and, he's, and they were looking on and they're looking at Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Demas and where they, you know, laid Jesus's body and, and they, they watched, you know, them prepare the body of Jesus. And so they were watching intently to see, you know, where, where they were going to lay him. And then it says, then, and then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. You know why they did that is because they saw men preparing the body and women thought, I can do better than that is what they thought. And so they were like, we're gonna, we need men did this job. We need to go and we need to get spices and perfumes and we need to take care of this. So that's what, that's what they did. Matthew tells it this way and we're gonna, Matthew tells us what happens this way. We now, Matthew says, here's who we know the women are. The women are Mary Magdalene and was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. So we know who they are. It's Mary and Mary, and they're sitting opposite the grave. They're watching Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus prepare the body, and, and Mary and Mary are going, oh, my gosh, you know, he did that wrong. He did that. Oh, my, this is embarrassing. Oh, I gotta, we got to fix this because he's a man. And he doesn't know what he's doing. You know? And so they're going to prepare the spices and come back with it. Now, on the, at the end of the day, look at this. Now, on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate. Now, this was an unusual situation. I mean, this was like unheard of. I mean, not only do you have the priests and the Pharisees who are two of the religious people in that time, they were known as Sadducees, so the, most of the priests were Sadducees and the others were, were the Pharisees, which you probably heard of before. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, they had a different belief system and so they never really got along. They never really were able to jive with each other unless it was about Jesus. The only common denominator they had with each other was their hatred for Jesus. And so the fact that you have the priests and the Pharisees coming together was for the sake of and for the hatred of Jesus. And then it says that they gather together with Pilate, which is like, 
What in the world? They never, especially, especially in, on the Sabbath, especially when it was high Sabbath, when Passover intersected with, with the Sabbath day, they never would be caught dead. It, as a matter of fact, it was against their rules to be caught dead with a pagan ruler on the high Sabbath day. So this verse right here is such an unusual thing, and they broke all of their own rules for the, because of their hatred for Jesus. Now, look what it says they did, why they did this, why they got together, and said, sir, so here's what they're asking Pilate now. The priests, Sadducees, and the Pharisees are asking Pilate, sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that the, the deceiver said, after three days, I'm going to rise again. Now, Jesus's enemies took more... Um, you know, consideration, Jesus's enemies were more serious than even Jesus's own followers about the credibility of what he said, that he would, after three days, rise again. So here's what Jesus's enemies did. Look what it, look what it says in verse 64, therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, and here's what they really believe would happen. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, you know, he, he has risen from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. Now, they gave Jesus' disciples way too much credit I mean, these guys at this point, Jesus told them, like, guys, listen, the, you know, the, they're going to strike down the shepherd and the sheep are going to scatter. Like, they're, I'm going to get arrested and then you guys are going to go like cowards and you guys are going to go hide. You know what's interesting, though, about this? And here's what sort of proves the fact, you know, the facts around the scripture and the facts around the story of the resurrection of Jesus. The guys that brought us the story of Jesus, this is so important. So when you're having dialogue with people at work and, you know, people that you do life with, your neighbors and things, like, you know why it's so interesting? You know why I believe? Because the people that brought us the story of Jesus made themselves look like wimps. They wrote themselves in the story of Jesus as those who were cowards. Why did they do that? Because they actually were. Just a side note. So these guys were going, his disciples, man, they're fanatics, man. They're, they're, these guys are crazy sometimes. They might try to come and steal the body so that you know, they can then make up a story that the body of Jesus was stolen. So let's secure the tomb. Let's secure the tomb, Pilate, because you don't want this to happen while you're in charge of this area, Pilate. You don't want, you know, an uprising of people believing that Jesus truly resurrected. You don't want that. And he, and he said it this way. He says, the last deception will be worse than the first. In other words, Hey, you remember that day not too long ago when Jesus rode in on a cult and the people that were in Jerusalem were waving their palm branches. This is why we call it Palm Sunday. That were waving their palm branches and they were laying their garments on the ground as Jesus is coming in and the people were yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means Savior, Savior, Messiah. And they were, they were declaring him their king. You remember that, Pilate? You don't want that scene. As a matter of fact, 
You know what would be worse, Pilate, than that? What would be worse is that people believed that he actually resurrected. If they believe that he actually resurrected Pilate, boy, they will certainly declare him as king with all authority in their life. So we can't let that happen, Pilate. We can't let that happen. So then Pilate said to them, you have a guard. Go. Like you have, now, this is not just a guard. You have to understand the terminology and the way this works. This was multiple guards. This was, here's how this worked. They had four guards every four hours they, they would shift out. Four guards at a time. Every four hours, another four guards would come in. So over a three-day period, that's a lot of guards. That's a lot of guards. So they would, so, so Pilate assigned Roman guards. These were not, you know, temple guards, which were different. Temple guards were who arrested Jesus. These were Roman guards that he assigned to them. These guys were, were bad dudes. These guys were, you don't mess with these guys. And the, he assigned those guards to, to make it as secure as he, as, he knew, as he knew how, is what he, you know, told the, the priests and the Pharisees. Verse 66, and they went and made the grave secure, and along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone, which is, you know, a, a wax seal around the stone. So, and the stone wasn't a small thing either. As a matter of fact, some of the gospel writers said how large uh, the stone was. The stone that, that rolled over the tomb, and the stone was on a slope. So it was a lot easier to close the stone. That's why, you know, Joseph and Nicodemus, they could do that themselves. But the stone weighed somewhere around two tons. That's how heavy the stone was. So they rolled the stone, which was on a slope, but to open the stone back up again would have been, you would have taken a lot of people to be able to do that because it was on a, it was on a slope. They'd have to go uphill with it. But it was a two-ton stone with a wax seal around it. You see, the priests and the Pharisees' plan was to prevent a robbing. That's what they were, what they were trying to prevent. They were, their plan was, hey, if we, let's do everything possible. So we're going to assign some guards. We're going to put the stone, and the stone is going to have a wax around it, you know, and we're going to have these guards. But listen, God's plan was different. God's plan was to prove a resurrection. See, what their intentions were was, we can, let, let's try to cover all of our bases. Let's try to make sure that they don't cut, come at night, you know, stealth their way through into the garden where the tomb was, you know, sneak, sneak in there while some guards maybe have fallen asleep, which they never would have done. They never would have done. And then to break the seal, but then move the stone away, steal the body of Jesus, hide him so that no one could find them, and then make up a story about it and be willing to die for a lie. Does that make sense to anybody else? That's what they were trying to do. But God's going, listen, yeah, yeah, put guards. Yeah, yeah, put a seal on it. Yeah, yeah, roll that stone over. Put as many guards out there as you want. That, all that is, oh, oh, by the way, my sheep are going to scatter. They're going to look like wimps. But then all of a sudden, they look like wimps, but now they look like assassins. Like, they look like ninjas, you know, coming in at night, you know, and taking out some guards and moving the stone away. Does that make sense? anybody no how absurd is that 
But God's going, yeah, yeah, do it. Do it. You know, their plan was to prevent a robbing, but God's plan was to just prove a resurrection. Just prove to, to, for us that we're looking in and for those that maybe don't know Christ, to, to prove, to say, listen, this actually happened. And what should change about that? What should be different about that for us? What should we, how should we live our lives? For the disciples, they went from cowards to courageous. For Joseph of Arimathea, if you hear last week, for Joseph and Nicodemus, they went from being private followers of Jesus to now public followers of Jesus. Shouldn't that change for us? So then here's the story, and this is Matthew's account. So, so now we have, we have the, the encounter of the women. You know, it says this in verse 28. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began uh, to dawn towards the first day of the week, we'll, we'll get back to that in a second, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Now, they get there, they get to the grave, they show up, and they notice that the tomb is empty. The stone is rolled away, you know, there's angels there, the guards are gone, you know, they're no longer there because they're like, what in the world happened, you know, here? You know, some of the gospel writers even record there was an earthquake that happened. You know, so they're there, and they're, you know, trying to grasp what is happening. Even, even some of them asked, and again, you have to read some of the other accounts of this story. They had to ask, like, where did you put Jesus? Where did you take him? Where did you do with him? And they're, they're trying to find out, you know. And so they're there, and they're trying to figure all of this out. Well, then they see this angel that is over, according to Matthew, this angel was sitting on top of the stone. And here's what he tells them. Look what he says in verse 7. Go quickly. Go quickly and tell his disciples. Where are they? Hiding. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. Weird information, don't you think? He's like, tell them, listen, go back. Tell them, cowards, come out of hiding we're going to Galilee. We're going back, a week's journey back to Galilee. There, he says, he says, there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So this is an angel now telling this to the women. Then they ran into Jesus, and they left the tomb quickly. Fear and great joy ran to, and to report it to his disciples. Now, pause. Luke tells us that when they went to tell the disciples, you know what the disciples thought? That's, and this is in the Bible, that's nonsense. The women said, we went to the tomb, the, the stone was rolled away, his body was gone, an angel was in there, the angel told us to come and tell you that the body, that he's, he's been risen, and we are here telling you, we, this is, we're giving this, and, and Peter is going, that's nonsense. Because typically when people die, they what? They stay dead. <laughs> right? I, you, I, I'll leave you, give you time to write that down. When people die, they typically stay dead. But that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, on the third day, I'm going to rise. Oh, guys, when I rise, meet me in Galilee. 
And so they left the tomb with fear and great joy, and they reported it to his disciples, and then, look at it. then they run into Jesus. Then they run into Jesus. Then they see Jesus. And he said, do not be afraid. So here they're like, what in the world? This is Jesus. Oh, my goodness, you were dead. We saw it, and now you're alive. And we came here to prepare your body. Oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. And he says, do not be afraid. Go, go, go. He says, go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. Like, again, Jesus is making a thing about it. Like, the angel's making a thing about it. Now Jesus was, is making a thing about it. To leave for Galilee, and there they, they will see me. He says, I just want you to get to... So, so in summary, after the women find Jesus, talk to an angel, talk to Jesus. In summary, here's what Jesus is telling them. Go tell the guys to get to Galilee. Go tell the guys to get to Galilee. And so they did. Matthew 28, 16. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee. Right? <laughs> of course they did. They're like, an angel told us that we got to get to Galilee. Jesus, we actually ran into Jesus, and he tells us to get to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. What, you know what that means? That means at some point before Jesus was arrested, before Jesus was crucified, before Jesus was buried and you know, come, came out of the grave, he told them, guys, we are going to Galilee. So after I rise, meet me back at Galilee. And then apparently he told them about a mountain that he designated for them to meet him at. So they did what all of us would do. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But don't you love, this is another thing. Oh my goodness, you gotta read the Bible. It's amazing. This story, are you engaged? This is amazing. Look what he says. Look what, look what Matthew writes. But some, no, go back, go back, go back. Sorry, Michelle. But some were doubtful. What? Why? Like they, just, they see, they're physically in front of him. Like they see him and some, it says that some were doubtful. Like, how would you even doubt? But, the, you know, it's, a, it's so, you know, Matthew's like, I, I don't know either. But they were. There were many that were there in Galilee. You know, when, we, when we saw him, we worshiped him. But, but some were, were doubt, doubtful. You know, that's, I don't know if you noticed that in, this, in today's day and age, right? I mean, we, we talk about our faith, and we talk about our church, and we talk about our Christianity, and, and, and you believe, you believe, you're like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, but, but you know people that are just, some of them are just doubtful, right? I mean, don't feel bad. Jesus was literally physically in front of them, and they still doubted. He still doubted. And look what it says, Jesus then, verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them. To who? The doubters. Hey, hey I, I know, I know who you are. They didn't come out. They weren't like, you know, we, you know we're, ah, no, it's not him. It's like his twin brother or something like that. You know, it's like, they, they were just like, you know, just kind of taking it all in. And Jesus said, hey, hey, I know, I know who you are. I know some of you have some doubt about whether I resurrected. But I just want you to know. And really he wanted everybody to know. And really he wants you to, you to know today. He said, because of that, because of the fact that I died, was buried, and I rose from the grave, and nobody does that, and nobody can do that, because I did that, he says, all authority, all authority has been given to me. 
All authority in heaven and on earth. In other words, I have, I am in charge of all things. I am in charge of all of your things. I am in charge of all of your stuff. I am in charge of your whole life. If you believe in me, then you need to know who I am. And who I am is I'm the one with all the authority. All the authority. I'm the, one, I'm the one that determines this. I'm the one that determines that. I have all the authority. Why wouldn't he have all the authority? If anyone can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, he deserves to have all of the authority. And so then he says, go therefore. Now remember, this is in Galilee. He, and he made a big deal about them getting to Galilee. And so now he says, listen, listen. After knowing this, this is so important for all of us, after knowing that Jesus truly did rise from the grave, what would that change about you? What would be different in your life? What would be different in your faith? He says to them, to the crowd, and this is probably, this is probably the crowd that, that the Apostle Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians 15, that when, G, when he said that Jesus appeared to 500 people all at one time, this is probably that crowd. There's 500 people there. The women were from there. You know, his disciples were from there. Jesus did a lot of miracles in Galilee. And these are 500 people all at one time. And here's what Jesus tells them after he resurrected. He tells them, in light of what I've done, in light of the fact that I resurrected from the grave, in light of the fact that all the authority belongs to me, I want you, and this is for us, I want you to go. I want you to go. And you say, go where? Go where? And here's what Jesus said. I want you to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The urgency for Jesus to get everyone, as many people as he could, back to Galilee after he resurrected. And he gets them all together after their meeting in Galilee. And he tells them, listen, this, I have all the authority. And I have all the authority because I resurrected from the grave. And, I, and, and now, so here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. If you are truly my disciples, I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to go and make disciples. And I, I want you to understand that that is our job. Our opportunity, our responsibility. He says, he says, don't you want other people? And, and the, the idea of disciple means to be a follower, to be a follower, to be a learner of, of, of someone. So Jesus would, as a matter of fact, Christ, Christians weren't called Christians until long after the church began. And before they were called Christians, they were called disciples. They were called disciples. And what Jesus was telling them is what Jesus is telling us today. He says, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. In other words, I want you to live your life in such a way that you reflect me to the people around you. Because here's what I think is important for us to understand. Jesus's urgency the angel tell, told the women, Jesus told the women to get the guys back to Galilee. 
The reason why he told them to get back to Galilee is because that's where they lived. It's where they lived. And so when Jesus tells them, guys, you know like where we live? You know where we are right now? This is familiar territory for you. This is familiar area to you. These people around you, you do life with them. You work with them. You go to school with them. You know, they're your neighbors. They're your colleagues. They're your family members. You guys hang out together. And he probably looked at, you know, some of the guys. He said, hey, Matthew, Matthew, you remember in Galilee around here, not too far from here, Matthew, that, that I, we first met? And you were like an extortioner. You were a thief. You were tra- you traded you traded in your you know your values and your beliefs for you know for another country, another nation. He says, "Remember what I did for you, Matthew. Remember when I walked up to the table, Matthew, and I said, hey, Matthew, do you, I want you to drop. I want you to stop what you're doing, and I just want you to come and be my disciple. Isn't that what happened, Matthew? Isn't that what I did for you, Matthew? Matthew, Matthew. I want you to do that for someone." Hey, remember, and he's probably pointing over at some, you know, hey, 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 ladies, ladies, Mary, 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 Mary. Hey, remember when we first met? You had some demons in your life. You had some demons. She literally had demons. We have figuratively demons. You remember you had some demons in your life, Mary? Remember what I did? I I cast those out. You no longer have to deal with those demons anymore because of what I did. Hey, Mary, 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 I want you to go and do that for someone else. I want you to go and do that for someone else. Hey, you know, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, remember when we first met Nathaniel? It wasn't too far from here. This is sort of where we live. Remember, Nathaniel? You completely trashed my family. Nathaniel said to Jesus when they first met, or he said to his, his brother Philip when they first met, What good comes from Nazareth? I mean, Nathaniel, you can totally trashed my family when you said that. But I still let you come. And still be a part of me. Jairus, 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 you were there. Remember, remember Jairus? Like, where were you, Jairus, when I came out of the tomb? I mean, I raised your daughter from the dead for crying out loud. And he probably went around and told, talked to every single individual person there that was there that day, or majority of people that were there that day, and said, guys, listen, listen, listen. I want you to do for others what I did for you. Guys, I want you to go and I, because the way that I loved you and the way that I served you and the way that I gave myself for you, the way that I put you before my own needs. Guys, 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 listen, listen. I want you to go and I want you to do that for other people because your, your opportunity that you have in your life, your opportunity that you have in your world will give you the best opportunity to make disciples. To make disciples. That you and I, in our world, where you do life, where God has, remember that he designated a spot, remember that? He designated a spot. He says, guys, 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 where I designated a spot, listen, you have been, you have been designated in a space to make disciples. Church, 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 church. 
you only have, only you have an opportunity to make disciples in your space that God has designated for you. I have my own space. You know how in life there's designated spaces, right? There's a designated space where you have dinner. There's a designated space that you go to the bathroom. Aren't you glad that those aren't two of the same spaces? In church, we have designated spaces. We have a designated space here. I have a designated space here. I, don't, I would feel weird. I feel weird now coming out of my designated space. I want to just go back to my designated space. It's just weird for me. We all have in our life designated space that God has given you to occupy. For what reason? For the reason of making disciples. For the reason of using your influence in the sphere that God has placed you in to make disciples. It's not just my job to make disciples. Ah, that's up to the pastor to figure. Listen, I don't go where you go to work. You don't even want me there. I don't go where you go at home and in your neighborhood. I'm not there. I can't be there. That's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to be and make disciples within the space that God has designated for me. You have been designated a certain space for you with the purpose of, with the purpose of, the plan of taking the information that you believe that Jesus resurrected and that he has all the authority and you go into the space that God has designated for you and to make disciples. That's his plan for the world. And he goes, gets specific about it. He says, listen, I want you to just not make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen, listen. It's not just my job to baptize people. You know what would be amazing? If you're like, hey, on Sunday, uh, Pastor, um, I'm, I've been discipling. I've been talking with somebody. Somebody put their faith. They've now become disciples of Jesus. You know, somebody at work. And I'm like, you're like, I, I'm like oh, I don't know. You, you don't need to know them. I just, I just what I've been doing. And so they want to follow in that step of obedience of faith. They want to go public with their faith, which, by the way, baptism is a great way for you to go to start, to take the first step of going public with your faith. So if you're tired of being a private disciple and you want to be a public disciple, this would be a great way for you to do that. As a matter of fact, there's a handful of people that are going to get baptized next Sunday, and I can't think of a better day for anyone to get baptized than on Easter Sunday that gives a public profession of what Jesus did, that he died and was buried and he rose from the grave. That is the story of the gospel. That is the picture that God wants the world to know, and if you've never been baptized by immersion in that way, I can't think of a better time for you to do it. But the point is, is that you should have already been baptized and you should be already making disciples and you should be baptizing them. That's what Jesus is telling you. He says, not just baptize them, but I, he says, I think you should be teaching them, teaching them to observe, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And he says, listen, listen, I know this sounds overwhelming. I know this sounds like teaching them. Now I'm teaching them. I've got baptized. You want me to baptize people? Yeah, I think you should be baptizing people. 
I think you should be. And then to teach them, what a joke. What a joke. And Jesus is going, it's no joke. This is no joke. He says, I want you to know that I'm going to be with you always. I just want you to know that you're not going to be alone in this process. That I'm going to be with you the whole time. I'm going to be with you the whole, the whole time. You're not going to be alone. I want you to go and I want you to make disciples in your designated space that God has called you to be. In your family, in your homes, at your schools, at your job. I want you to go and make disciples and then maybe you'll get an opportunity to baptize them. For them to go public with their faith. And you get to be a part of that, and there's not a greater story than that. And you get the opportunity to continue to teach them all the things that Jesus commanded us to do. Things like love one another as I have loved you. What an opportunity. What an opportunity that you get in your designated space that God-designated space for you to go and make disciples. Jesus already told us this. He said this in John 17, 18. He says this, as you sent me into the world, he's, Jesus is praying, he says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And God's plan for the world requires participation by his people. God's plan is, requires for you to participate, for you to go, 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 and make disciples. This right now, this right now, this moment, this, this is just preparation. This is just preparation. We sing some songs, and I hope that stirs your heart. You listen to me talk and share with you and try to encourage you. And I hope, I hope that this stirs you emotionally to go. This right now, this time right here is only preparation. It's only preparation for you to be inspired. So when you get up and you leave out of here, this isn't Christianity. This is just practice time. This is just training the first day of the week is preparation. The first day of the week when Jesus came out of the grave was simply their preparation to inspire them to go. For them, for the disciples, to see him alive and for that to galvanize their faith to go and to make disciples. This is preparation. For you to go and participate in the plan that God has for every single one of us. To participate in your designated space that God has assigned to you. To participate in his plan. Peter says it this way. He said it this way. He says, the Lord is not slow about his promise. In other words, he's coming back. That's what Peter's talking about. He's coming back. It's a promise. He's going to return. It's a promise. And at that time, it's too late. As some count slowness. So in other words, he's like, it's taking a long time. And people over the centuries are going, oh, he's not coming back. He, I know he promised. But he's not coming back. Peter's like, he promised. He's going to do it. 
And the reason why it seems slow and the reason why it takes so long, he, says, he said this, but God is patient towards you. God is patient towards you. Not wishing any to perish, but for all, but for all to come to repentance. Church, God is patient, but he's coming back. Take the opportunity to participate in the plan of God to go and to make disciples, knowing that he actually rose from the grave. He conquered death, hell, and the grave, and he paved the way for you to have eternal life, that there is a place that he has prepared for you, and he's prepared for those that you work with, prepared for those who he's gone, you, work, you know, go to school with, prepared for a family member, because he doesn't want anyone to perish. We've got to participate in this. We've got to go. We've got to go. And be a part of the plan that God has designated for you, sir. For you, ma'am. It's for you. It's for you. It's your space that you occupy to make disciples. This hopefully this preparation for you to go. And this week, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, it's going to be so easy for you. This week is so easy for you to go to work tomorrow morning and, and say, hey, you know, listen, I, 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 you know, I go to church, I go to Market Street Church, it's in Wald Lake, pastor's a little, little nutty, but you know, you get where you work through that. Would you be willing, would you be willing to come would you be willing to come to church with me on Easter Sunday? I, I'll buy you breakfast. I'll buy you lunch. You should do that. You should do that, by the way. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. Listen, would you, your family, oh, you have a family, you have kids? Oh, they're having an Easter egg on. Oh, they're having the coolest thing. Oh, by the way, by the way, we're giving something away. Like, we're, if you bring a guest, we're giving something away. We're going to actually hand them a key because we are talking about unlocking Easter. They're going to have a key. They're going to be able to open up some door that has a prize in there. But none of that matters. All that is just a way to say, hey, listen, listen. We want to give God an opportunity to speak into somebody's heart. That in, in spite of you and in spite of me, that the Holy Spirit of God will work into the life of somebody that you know, that you've influenced, that is in your space for them to be, no, to no longer perish, but to receive eternal life. Don't you want that? I want that. I want that for you. I want you to experience that because there's nothing better in this, in this life than that. Than to you to walk along somebody that you encourage to be a follower of Jesus because there's nothing better than being a follower of Jesus in this life. There's a lot of other things in this world to follow, but the only thing worth following is Jesus. He's the only one worth it. Go. Father, 
I pray, Lord, that you ignite in our heart the truth, the reality, the evidence that supports that you beat death. You conquered the grave. And the enemy in the grave has been swallowed up in victory for you rising from the grave, from the dead, appearing before hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people with the purpose of proclaiming your plan and for those people to go and participate in. And that's what you've called us here today. To go, to go, to go. And in our area, our designated space that you've assigned to every single one of us in all different, in all different places, in all different areas where we walk in this life, that our purpose is, that we exist for, getting others to the best of our ability, but you're not, you don't leave us hanging. You're gonna be with us to the best of our ability in your presence with us to become followers of you. So ignite, ignite the Spirit of God in us to go, to go, to go, and do for others what you did for us. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the privilege we have to participate. Thank you for being patient enough with us so that we can go and make sure that the people in our lives don't perish but receive your grace and your kindness. I pray this in Jesus' name.